Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. I'm your host, David O. And today we are joined by our very special guest, Rachel. How are you doing? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Besides for the the technical difficulties, uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Yeah, that was an adventure. <laughs> that was definitely an adventure. Yeah. Um, where are you from, Rachel? From Columbia, right here in Maryland. The mean streets of Sea Town. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Born and raised, cul-de-sacs, yep. minivans, the whole nine. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So when were you first introduced to recovery? Um, whew, my first introduction was in 2000. 2000. Well, mm. uh, I'm sorry, 2010. 2000. Wow, I just thought I was 20. Yeah. I'm 30. Yeah, well, <laughs> The whole 90s is 20 years mm-hmm. ago thing. Oh. No, uh, 2010, when I got my first DUI, um court ordered my huge tomboy i was little i was chunky um i haven't grown much since fifth grade mm-hmm. i had this like gigantic head and no fashion sense and i was all like everything so growing up it was so awkward um because i was raised on television my oh, yeah. bro- what what my brothers watched and what I watched after school. So of course it was again, metal, like metal music videos where all the women are like six foot five, no stomachs, tan, um, watching saved by the bell, full house, family Mm -hmm. matters, all of that. All the women are, you know, so of course that grew a complex real quick. Um, so hit metal school, hit high school. I was extremely reclusive. Um, just because you know you get teased a lot you're you identify as like a third brother no i mm-hmm. do not identify as a man but i idolize my brother so i just thought you know and um i always identified with men um just in personality wise and communication because mm-hmm. i was always around <coughs> my brother and his friends which did not transition well when i would go to school and or like birthdays and slumber parties. I did not. So in high school, um, I had that group of friends that I, you know, in Columbia suburbs, you have the same group of friends from when you're like two. Yep. So of course, you know, you get to that phase where everybody kind of starts experimenting with teenage stuff. You have one friend that goes way too deep. That would have been me. Um, You had the other friends that, you know, they may have gone into sports, other friends may have gone into music, and you guys start experimenting with your own functionality of teenagehood. Well, oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I went into, I watched horror movies, I watched mm-hmm. indie movies, I sat in my room, I read books, and um, I had my best friend at the time, she was extroverted. So mm-hmm. she took me under her wing and, um, you know, and it was great because she was so much more like she was so much more girlier than me. She knew where all the parties were at. She had mm-hmm. all the cool guy, cool female friends. And so, you know, and I remember the first party I ever went to was at her house when we were 13. And um, we were like, I think, walking into high school at this point. So she was that friend. You know, she also yeah. looked older. So we had the this party, and I remember literally everybody's drinking, everybody's smoking except me because I was so terrified of how 
being intoxicated was going to be on me. Mm-hmm. So I was fake drinking. I was fake smoking. Um, That's you know, funny. and I, you know, and in my mind, I'm I'm tricking everybody. Like I probably yeah. looked like a like a jerk, but um. So yeah, that was my my uh, my first <laughs> drinking experience, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely my first hint of a uh, addict, uh, you know, addictive personality. Um, mm-hmm. People pleasing started off very very early. I had two military parents, and you know, people pleasing is kind of how you're trained in yep. that environment. And um, so that's how I it transitioned in into socializing. So my first actual using experience was by myself. Mm. I was a night owl as a kid. So I stayed up all night, uh, watched my parents have nightcaps. So I turned around and one night I had a nightcap. And as the wonderful uh, impulsive addict that I am poured three fourths of a cup of the substance and splashed it with the (laughs) non-substance what was and it? It, felt, it was a uh, Jack and Coke, but no, no. Okay. Let me let me not lie. It was a Canadian Mist and Diet Coke because my mom Ooh. was classy. Ew, so gross. basically, you could smell me from outside, and oh, yeah. um, <laughs> like, and I was watching the Facts of Life, which just made it was a very like appropriate <laughs> time. It was a very appropriate time. Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm identifying with all the women on television. Of course, one took me out, so I was warm and fuzzy but also Mm -hmm. tall and endearing and you know all this stuff so for a while i actually was drinking by myself and uh going to parties just to kind of show my face and Mm -hmm. um but like not telling anybody (laughs) that like i was having a mad party by myself and uh like week like every weekend um because i knew like that's not dope um yeah you know at like 14 to be drinking, you know, gasoline and diet Coke. And, um, so, you know, that was great. So of course though, like as you get older, as I got older, I started filling out a little bit more and, Mm -hmm. uh, started, you know, having some sort of fashion sense. I won't say that house slippers and band shirts fit the mold of the average, like appealing high school kid, but like I rocked it and, um, I had that image. So, Mm-hmm. You know, I was that image and everybody wanted to party with the weird kid that's wearing slippers and PJs because they just looked like they could rock a party. So, yeah. um, so high school, cool, barely made it out. Um, I remember crossing the, the stage and the, everybody as I'm, um, you know, shaking their hands, went yeah. to Oakland mill, like I went to Oakland mill. So mm-hmm. You know, had the uh, the Meriwether graduation and everybody yep. saying, like, nobody saw this coming. No, I bet your mom's shocked. I yeah. bet, you, you know, because I was that kid. So gr- mm-hmm. um, right after high school is where it took off. Um, I was going to, quote unquote, college. And those friends that I had made in high school, they, you know, it was great. Now we were all free. We all had some sort of money. None mm-hmm. of us were paying bills. It was in yep. that wonderful grace period in Columbia where you have no responsibilities. So yeah. I refer to Columbia in that because we are a very <laughs> unique bunch and yes. um, it's a wonderful place. And mm-hmm. 
everybody thinks we're rich. We are not. Our parents were and or they made it work. Um, Mm -hmm. And we got that that staple anyway. So, you know, so right after high school, actually, no, let me. The senior year of high school was when my dad um, had gotten put in the hospital. And so I'd actually did graduation. My dad was supposed to be there. He um, was in the hospital with cancer, did Mm. not work out well. Um, The summer after I graduated, he passed away. Um, Mm. So that's when it skyrocketed um, because when, you know, that's your coping mechanism. It's what made me feel good. So that took it off though. Um, Mm -hmm. you couldn't tell me anything, you know, my dad just died. I'm going to drink. I'm going to use, I'm going to, you know, stay up all night. I'm going to have sex with strangers. And that's it. Like you, my dad died. You can't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, that lifestyle did not last long without consequences. Um, in and out of jail basically for like five years. Um, Did a week here, weekend there, two months there, six months there. And I remember every time I would go in, it was somebody else's fault. It mm-hmm. was the the cop had nothing, no other, nothing else to do. Oh, the yeah. Judge we, always, had, we always blame the cops. Oh, yeah. You know, how dare you do yeah. your job? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what always used to piss me off was how many cops would show up. I did not need eight cops for, you know, and of course, like in hindsight, (laughs) I'm like driving down a ditch, crash my car. And I'm like, you guys really didn't have to bring all eight of you. Like this Mm -hmm. is really excessive Columbia. Like, you know, um, (laughs) it's so true. Uh, the judge had a vendetta against me. It it was him. It wasn't the fact that he saw me every month. It Mm -hmm. was the fact that he, just didn't like me yeah um but all in all i was able to skate out of it like for about four and a half years um Mm -hmm. i i mean skate out of it meaning i didn't do like hard hard time just a week or two or a month did my final one which was a little under six months um i just kept violating like i could not not be illegal um the alcohol the drugs they were just taking over um Mm -hmm. and that's like the disease that i found out that I live with is the fact that I could be shown so many reasons why um, I am not fit to be in society mm-hmm. and I can still blame society. Um, I was in jail. My mom and my family just, they were, they, they couldn't do it anymore. And I remember mm-hmm. my mom uh, coming home and I had gotten, of course, drunk that night that I got home after I swore to her for that time in jail that um I would never do that again. And mm-hmm. I remember the morning after, so my mom's a colonel and uh, she was a colonel. And I remember being in my room the night after I get home from jail and I have empty bottles, some bags, the, the typical get up and uh, mm-hmm. smells horrible. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure I peed myself that night. And, uh, I remember she opened the door and she was like, are you, are you going to go to IOP? And I mm-hmm. was like, uh, and she was like, okay. And I remember she just shut the door. Now in a military family, that does not happen Yeah. in a military family. You don't get to just not do something that benefits you without hearing about it. Of course. Um, so when that happened, I was like, oh, shit. like, 
my mom had started just straight up giving up on me. And yeah. uh, when you're in your mid twenties and you're not used to your mom doing that. Um, I mean, my mom used to get up our, you know, up our stuff all the time. It was everything. And so I just got out of jail. I'm blackout still. And she's like, yeah, okay. So I uh, drank some coffee, headed out to the, to my IOP that was court ordered. Thank you, judge Brooks. And um, Mm -hmm. started my, (laughs) the one that did not like me. I still remember being in jail or in court and I'm sitting there and it was my like third time seeing this dude. And I'm like, okay, I have my story. I got my outfit. I'm looking good. And the guy in front of me, he's like, um, it was like his first, first arrest and he's getting probation. And he's like, uh, just want to let you know the next time you come, if you come back to me, you're going straight to jail. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I was like, okay. So my arms almost like initially just started going behind my back anyway. And, yep. uh, that's what happened. <clears throat> so I go through the program. Um, I fellowship, I meet a whole bunch of people. Um, mm. I'm starting to lose weight again. My skin's clearing up. I have an appetite, which mm-hmm. like is so dope in early recovery. Cause, um, that does not happen. And like, you know, you get all like those awesome feelings back and you're joking again and you're eating. And, yep. um, so I was doing all of that except for actually working a program. Mm. Um, I had a sponsor who I could tell you her name and that was it. I went to meetings, which I could tell you the date and time, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. I, but like to fellowship and go to the diner after a meeting was my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so like screw the actual part that might help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me get that straight though. Fellowshipping and being around other people um, in the same path as you is obviously very, very awesome. Yeah. Um, but if you're not, helping yourself then like you're just kind of watching other people succeed in ways that you you would love to so uh inevitably as you know one of the downfalls of the program is that i lost some people um back to back they you know unfortunately chose that the path was not for them and that we lost them and at the same time, my mom was sent to the hospital with a bunch of stuff that um, for her health. So, you know, without having a program, without learning uh, any way to help myself and any way of consoling myself in any other facet other than how I knew best, yep. walked right back out into a four-month-long bender. Um, I went hard, dude. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. hard. Um, so hard. And I mean, I was in the hospital with my mom. I remember just blackout drunk nightly. I was there for her, kinda. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I didn't so I was actually with my now fiance at the time. Um I was able to hide it from him for like a month. My fiance is also in the program. Oh, yeah, so he, I was, you know, when it like I started out, I was like, yeah. mints and perfume, and like I'm killing it. Yeah, and one time Think, I forgot to flick. right. One <laughs> time I forgot to use a uh, mouthwash, and I kissed him goodnight, and that was that was it, dude. So the the snowball went. So we had the talk about it, and 
him being in the program and actually working a program, you know, he was very level-headed about it. Um, but he was like, you know, there's like two, two options, you mm-hmm. know, you either go down this path and well, best of luck to you or, you know, you, you get help. Like what? And I was like, wow, that's really hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what a scumbag thing to think, right? Oh, like yeah. this person who's madly in love with you is like, Hey man, <laughs> like we could, we can be good. Mm-hmm. Just like, or if you're doing that again, I can. And you're like, mm, uh, not yeah. sure. So, and I remember at the time just hating myself, you know, like when you go back out, um, it's, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you mentally. Mm-hmm. And um, to come back in can sometimes seem like a mountain. So you, I, you know, told myself just, you know, such horrible things. And my mom wouldn't leave me alone. And I remember like what really started getting me back in was that my mom was actually trying to get me back in. Unlike the time before when she shut the door on me in my piss covered blanket. And, um, you know, so like, I was like, oh, damn. And then my fiance is like, he's still, you know, within reason, but he was like, you know, we're doing this. So I actually, you know, came back in because other people loved me. Like, mm-hmm. and of course in the time I'm like, I am so flipping sad. And, um, but no, like I needed that. I needed to go by other people's love because I did not, have the capability of loving myself at all yeah um so really cool that i did so that was i believe may 6th um so got through the withdrawals may 6th so that was that was beautiful um you know just more pee more blankets more vomiting at the whole the whole nine yards yeah and uh you know like whatever like bringing around a plastic bag so you can vomit as you're casually watching television and like to be in a room of people who are watching like everybody loves raymond and you're like (laughs) and everybody's like you okay you good okay yeah yeah like don't talk over ray barone and um (laughs) so that like that was it um so you know and it was embarrassing because like i'm pretty sure oh, i'm pretty sure we did not toss that couch either oh yeah Ooh. and i don't think anybody was aware of it but like mm, that happened so that was enough for me right like i had basically desecrated the family couch and mm. um i came back in uh tail between my legs new sponsor um and just dove head first into um the program mm-hmm. like 100 percent. started doing steps actually being honest with people um kind That's of thing yeah dude um it's not like a cool thing sometimes because like we be doing stuff that uh it it sucks to yeah. say like hey man sorry i peed in your car and um sorry i was drunk at that meeting i hope we're cool now mm-hmm. and um oh God, the text messages i would send when i was no anyway so yeah being honest is like totally cool though after you know you get through the first four or five people you have to do it with and mm-hmm. um so yeah like dove head first in um you know started working the program now you know almost two years later my relationships my brother and i live together um we did lose our mom 
Um, yeah, we lost our mom last year um, mm. due to what she was sick from in the story I just spoke of. Mm-hmm. So since then, moved back into the family house, lived with my brother, who has Asperger's, my fiance, and then we have our roommate, my older brother, who's one of those people I had to be honest with. Um, mm-hmm. We're good. You know, him and I are eh, not necessarily the closest, but like he's a D bag anyways. Um, so like just by nature, just yeah. by nature, you know, yeah. so like I can be as close to him as like he allows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got a second niece on the way. I'm engaged. I'm working at a job that I hate, but I keep yeah. coming back because like I low key love hating it. Yeah. Like I remember sitting in a jail cell and literally praying for a life of having a boring job that I complained to my fiance about, um, going back the next day just to do it again mm-hmm. and like no record, which yep. is cool. And uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I'm of, I'm kind of living that life now. I have to remind myself of that. Like I wanted this life. Mm-hmm. Um, I love talking crap about people in accounting. Like that's something that I can of talk course. about today. You know, <laughs> fucking three years ago it was like somebody was you know taking a dump while we were playing spades in prison and yeah. uh now it's like man stew in accounting did you see what he emailed everybody oh <laughs> you know what i mean like that's my life now um yeah so like i guess that's about it man um still living in the same house that i peed on the couch nice. uh you know, still with the fiance that stuck by me. Very grateful for him. Um, and yeah, just dude, well, that's it. Like living a pretty chill life after what fifteen years of nonsense. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a I think that's about what I got for you, man. I think that's All right. it. All right, thank I you. Do. I definitely got some questions for you. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper, <laughs> of course. All right, so I'm gonna go back to the beginning a little bit. So, um. One of the common themes in like addicts is like, we don't feel a part of, we feel different just from the get go. And like you talked about being more like on the tomboy side. So how did not being that girly girl type, how did that like affect your self perception in like when you were young? So I guess like, it, it affected it because, like, I – my home life and my social life, like, growing up, my best friends were my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were extremely close, and having a brother, one's nine years older than me, one's five years older than me, like, the humor, the fashion, I, you know, everything. I was wearing Jinko jeans at the age of eight because my brothers wow. got it for me. I had a Weezer t-shirt and I caught my first concert was smashing pumpkins. And, you know, like I, I was not having similar stories. Mm -hmm. Um, My, my, my humor was crude. That one was mostly from my mother. And, um, (laughs) you know, like, so going into school, it was like, I, I could not identify um, with, of course I loved Spice Girls. I loved NSYNC. I loved, you know, inflatable furniture represent. And, uh, but like, it was weird because when you have like this image of not the usual fan, you know, Mm -hmm. it was almost like this, this imposter syndrome was happening because I was like, 
you know, I had, I was listening to Slipknot at the age of nine, but then also I'm sneaking Spice Girl CDs in my room because it was just, it was weird. Like it was a very odd existence. Cause I did, I felt like I was an imposter mm. because at home I was this one image and at school I was this other and mm. secretly I loved a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and funny you should say that because I'm a big Slipknot fan as well. And it's funny, uh, Corey Taylor, he's like that too. And like, cause they asked him one time about like guilty pleasure and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, I don't believe in that shit, man. Like, like what you like, if it's okay. heavy, it's heavy. If it, if it's, if it's disco, it's disco. Listen to what you like and, and keep it moving. I remember literally one of like my family's favorite bands was Ramstein. My yeah. entire family, entire family. Cause we're, we're not German. We're Austrian. My brother swears we're German. We're not. Um, and I remember, like, you don't. How do you go into like eleven, like being eleven? Yeah, go into a slumber party and like with a Ramstein T-shirt. Yeah, and like seeing them in Germany and like trying to tell people that. And there's like six year, like not six year old I mean, stuff, like eleven year olds, like, oh, I went to the all that concert, and I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. Okay, that's that's cool, man. Like, it's a weird vibe, you know, yeah. and especially when you have older siblings, because I feel like they definitely trickle down their their interest onto you because, oh yeah, you know, they're the coolest thing in the damn world, man. Mm-hmm. Totally. <clears throat> it's one of the yeah. reasons why I love Alanis Morissette is because I have four sisters. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons to love Alanis, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's where it started, though. That's fair. That's fair. That's a good, that's a good start. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's just a, a goddess anyways. Absolutely. No wonder she played God in uh what was that? Dogma. Dogma. Yeah. Perfect. Of Perfect course. Casting. It was wonderful. All right. Um, <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I found this like in my case, uh, that's sort of a lack of like legal consequences and just getting slaps on the wrist over and over and over again really didn't help me. So did you think that that sort of like lack of legal consequences accelerated your addicted addiction in some way? So I wouldn't necessarily say I had a lack of, um, Mm -hmm. but it was, I would say my issue was that I was able to, um, step out of like i was able to talk my way out of it okay um so i mean i had on my record three duis there was a trickle of i was in and out of jail but you know i was getting minimum sentences i was Mm -hmm. getting because i could talk my way out of court i knew how Mm -hmm. to dress i knew how to appear i knew how to speak i knew how to beg for forgiveness i knew how to and i you know, I remember on my third DUI going to J- uh, going to a weekend because wow. the woman was like, you know, I understand your story, but I think the one thing that would help is if you really had a consequence. And she sent me for 48 hours. Um, mm. So I would say, yeah, that definitely having that cockiness and that like yep. image that I could just, I was above the law yeah, for we, so long. We get away with it. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention like the, the casual driving around while doing it, the casual in public, you know, 
That's like, like a just, Howard County thing. <clears throat> like, it is drinking, it really driving, is, blunt yeah. rides, like that. It is really just is the thing to do. Going to a lake to like openly drink is really something that we do, and we're proud of it. Yeah, like oh yeah, we're so unnecessary. It's like kind of annoying because, like, you make it a hobby. Like yeah. I, what mm-hmm. the hell, man? Like Columbia and Howard County in general. It's ridiculous. Like the amount of stories. Like I remember getting my first DUI and people being like, oh, like I had like so many lawyers in my life. They were like, oh, oh well, yeah. when I went, I got a PBJ and I went to this and like, just tell them this then just say this. Oh, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I, like we're at the bar. That night. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in everybody's graduating class, <clears throat> a solid like 35% of them got DUIs. Yeah, no, and like it's <laughs> and it was it's kind of funny because I still remember too because of having to go to meetings as a result of every time. I remember going like I was one of those lawyers after a while. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you want to say this and oh, you only did this. Did you blow at the station or did you blow in the car? Okay. So like that obviously, okay. Like don't don't give your friend like just don't give your friend like jailhouse lawyer advice. That yep. is so awful. Yep. Um cuz one you look like a douche. Like I just think about like my like my advice to my friends like <laughs> wait 2 hours it'll mm-hmm. go down. Like no, shut up. Um but that was it. Howard County, everybody got arrested and everybody had a story. Yep. And you just almost felt yourself like trying to lie to be better than the other. Oh, well you had yeah. search dogs. Uh my car blew up. Like, <laughs> like and my mom still paid for it. Ah, yeah. Like, dude, we suck. Oh. Um, like, what a terrible That's hilarious. environment. So toxic. That's hilarious. Um, so toxic. All right. Um, what else do I got? <laughs> All right. I want to get. I'm. I'm going to do a heavy question. So. Oh ooh, yeah. Um. Oh. So have you had to do uh, sort of a, a sober grieving period for your father? And how was your grieving period different for your father versus how it was with your mother when you were clean? Oh, dude. Wow. That, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You came with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't, I don't hate yep. it. Like I respect that. Um, so yeah. So for my dad, um, it. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to like figure that one out because mm-hmm. um I still don't think I've had one for yeah. my dad, honestly. Um because I kind of it came and went when I was messed up. So yeah. um you know, we still have the moments, we still have that like I do miss him when mm-hmm. I think about him, but like when it comes to the uh breakdown, grief, cry, um yeah. You know, and so when my mom passed, um, and like the real fucked up part about all of this is like they both passed away in front of us. So like Oof. not no. So my mom passed away before I got back from vacation. Like we were on the way back and she was still in the home when I came home and mm. our dad passed away in front of us. So like um that's a big reason why I I don't know. Like I think I get a lot of my grieving out and like a lot of my stuff out like from watching horror 
and all of that yeah. stuff because like it's how I understand death. Yeah. Um, for my mom, uh, my mom, it was it was in waves. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I I was clean in obviously, and um, I had you know not just the hey, your mom's dead. But then it was like, you're also basically the matriarch of your family. You're going to have to move back in with your brother who has Asperger's and cannot fend for himself in most Mm -hmm. aspects. Um, You're going to get engaged in that period. You have to set up the funeral. Uh, Here's her debts. Figure that out. You're going to have to reconnect with your older brother who you were in jail for his wedding. And oh, that's right. You're also fighting an addiction. Um, so I had to kind of put on my big girl pants when it mm-hmm. happened. Um, yeah. because I, you know, and so then once like the wave of, okay, we had to get stuff done. That's when, so I had about a week and a half of inconsolable, um, going to work, pissed off at everybody coming home, laying in bed in the dark. Um, yeah. it was, it was one of my reservations um, yeah. that, you know, we talk about and, you know, that was my biggest fear. So I had like this little bit of fear of like, I can't go back out because of this. Like uh-huh. I made all this, I did my damn step work and this is not going to, you know, like I was so um, scared. So that I had to, it, it, I don't know if I've grieved for my dad, honestly, but um, I, pr- I don't know. Like it's. I, I could not tell you. My mom, though, it took me um, mentally and emotionally out for like a week and a half. Yeah. Um, and that was about that. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, the amazing part about it is you got through it. Like, you yeah. got through it clean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to do something. We're going to go upbeat now. So what's okay. what, what has been your biggest achievement in recovery so far? Oh, wow. I would say um, running this household, um, Mm. honestly, because when you're ahead of the house, um, you know, you have to put your personality aside. You Mm -hmm. have to put your motivations aside for a second. You have to be there for everybody else. And it really takes, you know, a a lot of selflessness, a lot of patience, a lot Mm -hmm. of understanding. Um, you know, I have two addicts and somebody with Asperger's living under this house. So of course, like it gets crazy. Um, you know, and it's, you know, my achievement is like this house is clean. Everybody's fed. Everybody is clothed. Everybody's warm. Everybody's safe. And, you know, I can say I played a big part in that Yeah. and put aside my own personal issues and was able to serve other people in my home. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And yeah, not thrown anybody out of a window yet. Um, my brother and I are still going over how we, you know, wash clothes and how we put stuff in the dishwasher, but you know, it's all good. Yep. It's all good. Whatever. You that's, know. that's normal stuff. Of course. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so, what sort of like formal steps have you gone through to mend the relationship with your family? Oh, uh, so the obvious amends, um, the, the one that we, we follow in our program, mm-hmm. 
I have put faith um, in my brothers where, cause a big part of that was that I didn't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and my oldest brother, <clears throat> he, him and I, you know, we had a lot of issues. And so when he and I were working out the estate, I had a lot of fear. I thought mm-hmm. he was going to try to rip the money and run. Um, I thought there was a lot and I had to put faith in him. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, he, he saw that, um, my fiance, you know, showing him just, you know, living the program that I'm working every day, you know, yeah. like apologizing if I've messed up, telling the truth, um, listening to his day, mm-hmm. um, you know, stop making the bed, making breakfast, you know, those little things that like the average person doesn't think is important Mm -hmm. but like in a in a relationship in a a commitment you know those little moments you know show the person that like you know they care you know that you care and that they matter um in that you know you're in a good headspace you know when you can put somebody ahead of your own worries and issues and make them feel special in a day that they need it you know Hmm. I think that's one of the biggest ways to live the program in a committed relationship. Absolutely. Totally. Fantastic answer. Um, All right. Um, What are, what's the most difficult, difficult part about coming back from a relapse? And are there any, like any like myths that just like aren't true? Cause everybody comes back in thinking like everybody hates them or is disappointed. So is, is there any, vali- oh, for sure. is there any validity to that or is it all just in our heads? So it's definitely, I would say the hardest part is the negative self-talk mm-hmm. that it goes through your head. Um, you know, when I went through mine, it's, I, I fought myself, you know, Um, you know, one of the myths is obviously everybody's going to judge you. One of the myths is it's, you know, it's a slippery slope right back out. Mm. Um, one of the myths is, you know, just everything. Um, what else was it? There was another one. One of the myths was that people will think you're lying that you're still Mm. using people will be up your up your shit all the time because you know they're going to be worried about you and Mm -hmm. they're gonna um and none of that is true yeah um though i will say you know just to be a hundred percent honest there are people um you know some of us are sicker than others that that they do um Mm -hmm. there are people out there and you know i would love to say a hundred percent of people but at the end of the day, when you come back, um, and hopefully you do come back, you know, and, and make that choice, at the end of the day, your story is yours to tell. Absolutely. You know, if you want to come back and not share, because some people are just nosy. You oh, know, yeah. some people are, they're going to want to hear your your struggle. They're going to want to hear the dirty details. And, yep. you know, I think the most powerful thing is choosing who you tell that story to. You know, it's a myth that you have to open up your 100% self at every meeting you go to. Yeah. Um, it's your choice. So that's what I did. I came back and I shared the the gritty details with those that I trusted. And for the people who were fishing just for a story, you know, you, you tell them what you want them to hear. 
out of out of your story you know you mm-hmm. tell them you know yeah i'm back it sucked you know like that's yeah. that's all you got to tell so it's a myth that you have to tell everybody mm-hmm. um because you don't no you know you really don't and uh people think that you owe them that and some people in your life you might need to owe an explanation to like your close friends Mm -hmm. but yeah everybody in the room expects that you owe them why you went back out and that's not the case Mm. so that's i think a myth in the other direction you don't owe everybody the explanation of where you went yeah love that yeah all right uh have you worked all 12 steps i have all right they they rock um I rock, uh, I rock them. Almost said that. I worked the <laughs> in one of the fellowships. I worked the twelve. I'm in another fellowship now, and mm-hmm. I am um, almost at the twelfth step in the other fellowship. Nice. Um, so yeah, so worked them, um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that. Now you can only pick one. What's your favorite step? My favorite step is step 10 for sure. Um, Damn it. Yeah. Daily amends, man. Like those uh, basically figuring out, like going through your day. Did you hurt somebody? Did you act out of self, you know, selfishness? Did you, that whole checklist. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, do you owe that person maybe an apology? Do you owe that person an explanation of why you acted like an ass at work? Um, Because they, drink the rest of the coffee and you stomp down the hallway after them. Um, you know, like, do you, did you maybe not (laughs) think ahead when Mm -hmm. you snapped at your significant other because they asked you a question when they didn't know you were grumpy? Yep. Um, yeah. So I think that because that's one of the ones that, I mean, you can start working day one is identifying your daily moments that you might need to, uh, to come back to the next day or the following week, you know? Absolutely. I'm just pissed because my co-host who's not here, Eric and I have a competition going more of like Mm -hmm. I I have a competition going because I think it's step three and he thinks, Uh, he thinks it's step 10. So he just got to vote for for his column, but fuck Eric, who cares? All right. Okay. (laughs) Okay, but yes. I'll, ap- yeah. I'll apologize for that later. We'll fix that. <laughs> hey, oh, step 10. <laughs> All right. And uh-huh. final question. Uh, mm-hmm. What does recovery mean to you? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Feeling like my first day in IOP. Mm-hmm. Um, so recovery means to me. Um, no, I mean, recovery <laughs> means <laughs> recovery means to me you you've identified that there's something in your life that is something that you are not able to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the, the addiction to video games, drugs, sex, alcohol, you know, you've identified that it's taking over your life in a way that you can't manage it. And you are taking active steps in finding that, that freedom from mm-hmm. that vice, whether it's one thing or the other. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to give you one minute. Doesn't <clears throat> not exactly a minute, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to anybody out there who's coming off a relapse or struggling or needs to hear that message of strength and hope. What do you have to say to them? Uh, I would say come back. Mm-hmm. Um, like it sucks at first and there's so many things that, you know, you have to face, but just come back. Like, mm-hmm. 
no matter how it feels, no matter how it's awkward, if you are nervous to come back to the meetings that you had the relapse out of, go to different meetings, Mm -hmm. call different people. You know, if it takes you kind of avoiding those areas for a month, like do that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, get that love from people so you can love yourself for real because, um, you know, just come back. You know, we, we as a program, unfortunately see people leave this world way too much. And, uh, you know, some of us have become a little desensitized to it because we understand that this happens and it sucks and we live through it. Um, but like there are steps you can take so much earlier that, can avoid that mm-hmm. um ask for help you know call somebody if you're thinking about even relapsing call somebody tell on yourself say it mm-hmm. out loud impulsively that's what i do oh, if yeah. i'm even thinking something that could be sideways i say it out loud i'll be cooking food in the kitchen and just say something like you know like you gotta just say it blurt mm-hmm. it out be awkward about it like if somebody hears it and can hold you accountable like do that but like don't just keep going you yep. know what i mean like it sucks at times like recovery's not great all the time yeah but like it's a, literally as they say better than any day using and yep. um you know go through the withdrawal come back out you know like mm-hmm. go to rehab come back out People aren't looking at you sideways. People aren't angry at you. Mm-hmm. People aren't aren't judging you. Yep. Like the meetings are there. People have have gone out and come back in. People have double digits on both ends of a relapse. Like it happens. It can you can come back. Yep. Relapse is called a part of recovery. It is not its own section of recovery. It's a part of it. Mm-hmm. All right. And yeah. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Rachel, for joining us this evening. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Everybody, uh, help us keep the mics on here at Podcast Recovery. Uh, Like, share, subscribe on our Twitter, our Facebook, our YouTube. For more information about your co-hosts, go to podcastrecovery.com. You can join the home group by becoming a part of our Patreon and giving us a little bit of support and uh i'm gonna read our little sign out here real quick so here here at podcast recovery we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction we work to bring the message of recovery to every addict wherever and whenever it is needed we believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable practical and at the touch of a button Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, Yep, like, share, subscribe, and all that good stuff. But most importantly, everybody, stay safe, stay clean.